In terms of making connections quickly, it is usually less about you than it is about the other person. So setting aside your perfect pitch, it's great to have that, but setting it aside for a moment and seeing what you can learn about the person in front of you and getting really curious about them is going to make a more lasting impression than if you rattle off your resume. Also, if you make a true connection, you're probably going to follow up on LinkedIn or somewhere digitally anyway. So your resume will be there if you need it. But leading with your resume is usually not going to help you form a good connection. Really going back to asking questions and trying to understand this person as a person, as opposed to as a title, usually will lead to them wanting to know the same about you. Jimena Vengochea, user, researcher, illustrator, and author of Listen Like You Mean It, Reclaiming the Lost Art of True Connection. Hello, everyone. I'm Celeste Headley. Welcome to Women Amplified from the Conferences for Women. Just a quick note before we get started. Tickets are now sold out for the in-person Texas and Massachusetts Conferences for Women. But you can still get in on the energy, the inspiration, the networking, the fun. Registration for the 2023 Virtual and In-Person California Conference for Women just opened. And the lineup is fantastic. Elizabeth Gilbert, Naomi Osaka, Constance Wu, Misty Copeland. And those are just the keynotes. You can get more information at caconferenceforwomen.org. Tickets are also still available for the virtual Conference Anywhere for both Texas and Massachusetts. So you can join us from wherever you are to hear from an all-star lineup of keynote and breakout session speakers. Learn more at maconferenceforwomen.org and txconferenceforwomen.org. Now, let's dive into our episode. For so many of us, listening is something we do automatically, which leaves us forming service connections at work and in life because we don't always listen really carefully and with energy and focus. Today, Jimena Vangochea is going to show us how to make simple adjustments that allow you to listen like you truly mean it, forge true connections and genuine relationships and grow your network at the same time. So let's get started. So looking at your resume, it leads me to the question of how you got involved in researching and working in the area of listening and conversation. How did that happen? I certainly couldn't have predicted it. I sort of fell into the role of user research, was not a role that I knew existed early in my career. But what really drew me to it was that it's about meeting other people and and getting to know their needs and motivations and perceptions. So specifically, user researchers are kind of part therapist, part coach, part detective. And it's a role that exists within tech companies with the goal of understanding people in order to build better products. So a lot of what I'm doing is having conversations with people about their lives and their routines about their challenges and their needs and figuring out ways that specific products could help make their lives just a little bit easier. So how far did that research into conversation have to expand in order to include all of the other areas that you talk and write about, like 
making small talk with strangers you meet, relationships in your personal life, more in-depth conversations. How did your research change once you started expanding beyond that user research role? Yeah, when you look at the topic of listening, it's obviously much broader than just having a one-on-one conversation in a lab about a specific set of questions. So for me, a lot of that was realizing that some of the lessons that I had learned in that lab setting had begun to translate outside of it and beginning to observe and talk to other folks about their experience as well. So just noticing in a group setting or running a workshop or a meeting, what were some of the techniques that did and didn't transfer over? Also speaking with therapists who are a different kind of professional listener or people in radio who also have a different kind of listening experience. And so I really started from, you know, what was the experience and the expertise that I had and was trained in? How did that apply to different settings? And then where might there be other expertise that could help kind of round out my understanding? You know, listening is hard. And I think a lot of people think that technology that's around us all the time makes listening really difficult. But listening has been tough for human beings for quite some time, even predating the smartphone. So how does one get better at it? I think that's right. I think there are many things contributing to our challenges with listening. Some of them are recent, but some of them are really, frankly, just very human. Some of the things that get in the way are are us, right? Our own needs, how hungry we are, how tired we are, our emotions, whether we're frustrated about something in a conversation, whether we're bored by a topic. And so... When it comes to improving our listening, I think there are many things that you can do, but one of the most important things to know is that the more you know yourself and what you are bringing to the table, what you're bringing to a given conversation, the more self-aware you can be about your own listening habits in conversation, the better you are going to be as a listener because it really is about noticing I'm losing focus, right? I'm getting distracted or my emotions are really starting to get the better of me right now. And I can no longer hear what the other person is saying. Or one area that I think is really helpful for this is identifying what I call your default listening modes. So this is something that we're all bringing into conversation. This is just our natural sort of intuitive way of listening. We all have them. They're usually informed by our early relationships and our personalities, and they can be useful in some conversations and maybe less useful in others. And so just to get concrete, an example would be someone who comes into conversation with a problem-solving listening mindset. Beautiful mindset, great to have a problem solver, great for generating ideas, removing roadblocks. However, if I come into every conversation listening for problems to be solved, listening for what can I do to help in this situation, I may be wrong sometimes. I'm bound to be wrong sometimes because my conversation partner may not actually need help. They may not need advice. They may want something totally different like validation, a cheerleader, someone to say they're doing a great job, not someone to say, here's how you solve that. And so once you are in tune with these modes and all those other things that I was mentioning, it really helps to become a better, a more effective listener for a given conversation. So if I'm in a conversation and I realize I've gotten to a place where I'm finding it difficult emotionally or cognitively to continue listening, what do I do? Usually where I start is 
starting by noticing, and then depending on how comfortable you are with the other person, finding a way to gracefully pause. So if you are really at what I would call over threshold, right? You are sort of emotionally not in a place where you can listen, have a a clear-headed conversation. A pause is probably what's going to be most productive. Sometimes we feel like we should just power through. We don't want to admit that we are emotionally activated. We think we can just kind of push our feelings aside and get through to the other side. Usually that backfires on us and it can make maybe a small disagreement into a large argument, for example, or just increase our chances of misunderstanding. So usually I recommend pausing. And if you have the sort of safety and trust within a relationship where you can be vulnerable and say, hey, you know what? I'm noticing that I'm having a really strong emotional reaction to what's being said to this conversation. It's really important to me and I I want to make sure that we have this conversation, but I'm actually not able to do that right now. Can we come back to this and set a time? Can we come back to this in five minutes? Can we come back to this tomorrow? next week, and then closing that loop so that the other person doesn't feel like you've kind of just dropped the line on them. If you are not in a relationship where there is that kind of trust or vulnerability, or you don't feel like you have permission to excuse yourself from the conversation in that way, which I think can happen depending on the relationship, particularly in professional settings where maybe you don't have that kind of intimacy, then I think finding other ways to pause the conversation One of the most reliable is just to say, hey, are you okay if we hit a quick pause here? I just need to take a bio break or I need to grab some water, whatever it may be. Usually the other person is not going to say, no, you cannot take this five-minute break to go and take care of that. So finding ways to either, again, upfront, being able to kind of say it aloud, or if there's not that trust and safety, finding other ways to pause And then being able to take some deep breaths and kind of return to center before returning to that conversation. I talk about a conversation a lot. And one of the most common type of question I get from people is how do I change someone else's behavior? People are always asking me, how do you stop someone from interrupting you? What if they never listens to you? What if they run on and on and on and on? We all have a difficulty in acknowledging how we get things wrong in conversation. So when you talk about like taking a moment and recognizing that you're in a bad place or recognizing that maybe you've got it wrong, that can be tough too. How do you get yourself in the proper mindset so that your first reaction is not defensive? Well, I think one of the things that's really important to bring into these conversations is what I call a listening mindset. And that is really about bringing three qualities in, and that's humility, curiosity, and empathy. So humility is part of what kind of protects us against taking a position of defensiveness. Humility is really coming into the conversation from the position of, I'm here to learn. So I'm going to be the student, not the expert. My goal is not to convince, right, or to win the argument. It's to understand the other person. And that's usually not our default position, right? A lot (laughs) of us are coming in with our opinions, our preconceived notions, our assumptions, Some of us like to debate. That's really exciting to us. But humility is really about saying, you know what? It's actually not about me right now. I'm here to understand the other person and where they're coming from and what their experience is. So starting there, I think, is crucial. Then you layer in curiosity. So there's often this idea that to connect with someone, we have to be really interesting, tell a great story, be funny, be charming. 
really what helps us connect is to be curious, is to express interest in the other person rather than focus on how we can be interesting to them. And so that's asking open-ended questions. It's encouraging them to say more. You can literally say, oh, tell me more about that. And you're starting to get to know someone a bit better. And again, just as with humility, you're shifting away from this conversation is about me or this moment is about me to it's actually about the other person and what I can learn from them or about them. And then the third part of that listening mindset is empathy. And this is sort of where we're getting a little bit deeper to the level of emotions. So what is this person feeling in this experience? And I think often there's a little bit of maybe confusion around empathy and the idea that, well, I can't empathize with this person because I don't know what they're going through. I've never gone through, for example, I've never been fired. So I don't know how to respond to someone who is telling me about this big event. But we all can empathize if we get beyond that sort of context to the deeper emotion. So, okay, you've never been let go, but you've probably experienced some kind of loss in your life mixed with shock or surprise, possibly mixed with something like shame. And if you can get to that underlying feeling, that's where that deeper understanding and ultimately connection comes through. And so when you can bring those three things into conversation and really do that with intention, because again, it's not necessarily where most of us are starting from intuitively, that's really going to change the nature of the conversation that you're having with someone and ultimately help you build a better, stronger relationship with them. You're listening to Jimena Vengochea. She is a user researcher, illustrator, and author of Listen Like You Mean It, Reclaiming the Lost Art of True Connection. If you want to hear more from Jimena, you are in luck. She will be speaking at the virtual Texas and Massachusetts conferences this fall, along with so many other incredible speakers. Just visit conferencesforwomen.org to learn more and to register. Now, let's get back to our conversation. So a better, stronger relationship, that's maybe one of the benefits of doing all this. But what are the others? I mean, these are things that we're doing in order to listen to other people really well. It can be difficult to stop talking and listening instead. So what's the plus side? And whether that be at work or in our personal relationships? I mean, the payoff is a lot of things run much, much smoother. So if you think about this in the workplace, if you have a better understanding of where you're coworker is coming from, of what their need is, then you're going to be able to work much more efficiently and you're going to be more strategically aligned quicker. And it's just going to make working with them probably a little bit more pleasant, right? Like if I know that I am partnering with someone, there's two ways that I can approach it. One is, okay, they're my partner on this project. We're just going to divide and conquer. Fine, get the job done. But if I take the time to really understand, well, what are they trying to get out of this project? And that might change how we, for example, divide up responsibilities. Maybe I learned that they'd like to try a new skill. Okay, great. So what would that change about how we approach this project together? Or maybe I learned that their boss is kind of breathing down their neck and they're under a lot of pressure for this project. That is also going to change how I understand them and their behavior and how we collaborate. So anytime you can get to know somebody better and again, get to that deeper level of the sort of squishy stuff that a lot of us either don't 
really want to go near or aren't quite sure how to go near, it actually is going to make everything go faster. I think of it as sometimes you have to go slow to move fast and listening when it's done well, it's not fast. You have to take the time. However, if you take the time to really get to know that person and their context and their situation and their emotions, it does make everything else run smoother later on. So which of all the pieces of advice that you give, the tips, which of them have you personally struggled with the most? What's the hardest? Mm, That's a good question. I am a natural born interrupter. (laughs) I am naturally impatient. I'm one of four girls. So I'm used to having to vie for attention and kind of just throwing, you know, your voice out there. So that's one that I've definitely had to learn to keep in check. And I've practiced a lot of what I preach in terms of doing that, being aware of, for example, how much airtime a group of people is getting. So let's say you're in a meeting, making sure that I'm not the person who's speaking the most, being aware of passing the mic and leaning into silence. I'm a talker, so that's not my natural position. But recognizing that silence can be very rewarding when you give people just a little bit of space, they tend to fill that space in part because it's uncomfortable to be quiet in conversation. We say, oh, there was an awkward silence, an awkward pause. We call it awkward for a reason. But also giving that space allows people to finish their thought. Not everyone processes aloud. Not everyone is a smooth improviser. Not everyone likes speaking in a group. And so just giving a little bit of space and not rushing in to fill that space, those are one of the things that I practice myself, even if that's just, okay, I'm going to count to 10 in my head. (laughs) And by the time I hit 10, usually someone else has spoken. And so there are just really small things that you can do to kind of, in my case, or in many people's cases, encourage ourselves to just lean back a little bit and see what happens. So another thing that you advise in terms of encouraging people to open up and continue with their stories is asking the right questions. And I don't think a lot of people put much thought into crafting the question. So what does that mean, the right question? It implies there's a wrong type, right? Yes. So what I would say is that many of us are asking leading questions or biased questions or questions that have a particular response baked in. And they're usually narrower than we realize. So this is the opposite of asking an open-ended question, which allows someone to kind of take the reins and let us know where they want to go. And so what I usually recommend is to shift from these more closed-ended questions to more open-ended questions. And what that sounds like is saying, let's say someone has a big presentation coming up. Instead of saying, hey, are you nervous about that big talk you're giving? Which implies that maybe they have a reason to be nervous and also really only suggests yes or no as the answer. Instead of asking something like that, you might just make it more open-ended by saying, hey, how are you feeling about that presentation coming up? Now we are giving them more room to say, you know what, I'm really excited about it. Or I feel anxious, but I'm super prepared. Or I am really nervous and I don't know what to do. And so one way of beginning to check your own questions is to see if you can shift them from beginning with are, so are you nervous, 
or do or is, those tend to lead to yes or no responses. Shifting from that to how or what questions, which are much more open-ended in nature. The other questions that I really like don't even sound like questions, but function as questions because they are prompting the other person to respond. And those sound like saying things like, what else? Right? You can use that in pretty much any conversation. So what else do you have on your mind? What else? Or tell me more about that or say more. One I particularly like is And that's because, and I kind of dot, 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 you add that ellipsis and you just wait for the other person to fill it in. So if you feel that somebody is getting to a point and hasn't fully expressed it or is kind of chewing on something and working their way through it as they process, when you can hear that there's a little bit more to be said, you can just add these encouraging nudges that, again, don't sound like questions, but really are opening things up just a little bit more to help that person kind of open up. So how about conversations that have a very distinct purpose? And I'm specifically talking about networking. Networking and trying to start conversations when the whole point is to create new relationships with people, or sometimes the point of networking is to sort of tell someone how great you are, what you've accomplished, really kind of brag about yourself. Those people find very, very difficult. How does one navigate a conversation like that? I think going back to one of the things that I was mentioning earlier of, especially in networking, there often is a lot of pressure to sort of put your best foot forward, tell the best story, really present yourself in a way that does get at your resume highlights, right? Bang, 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 like you've got them all out there in two minutes or less. But going back to what I mentioned earlier of it's in terms of making connections quickly, it is usually less about you than it is about the other person. So setting aside your perfect pitch, it's great to have that, but setting it aside for a moment and seeing what you can learn about the person in front of you and getting really curious about them is going to make a more lasting impression than if you rattle off your resume. Also, if you make a true connection, you're probably going to follow up on LinkedIn or somewhere digitally anyway. So your resume will be there if you need it. But leading with your resume is usually not going to help you form a good connection. Really going back to asking questions and trying to understand this person as a person, as opposed to as a title, usually will lead to them wanting to know the same about you. And I think that's really important. The other thing I would say about networking This is true, I think, in every conversation, but especially relevant for networking is recognizing that every conversation carries within it a need. We don't usually think of conversations this way, but conversations, there's a reason for them. There's a reason that someone is venting to you or gossiping or giving an update. There is usually some underlying reason for it. There is a need. They need visibility. They need support, they need validation, whatever it may be. And so your job in a conversation is to understand what is that underlying need. And usually it is underlying. It's not explicit. Sometimes it is, but usually it's not. And so when it comes to networking, also thinking about what might this person need out of this conversation? What might they be seeking from this event? Like, what are they trying to get out of this? Because maybe you can meet that need. And if you can't meet it today, maybe you can meet it in the future. And that is part of the sort of give and take of beginning to build 
not just a connection, but also a network of folks who you can help and hopefully can help you in the future. I mean, all of this advice that you're giving is probably really going to help people learn from those they speak to in a way that perhaps they have not done in the past. And so many people are focused on telling what they know to others. But what about those times when you really need to be heard? How do you approach conversations when what you really need to say to someone is, I don't need advice. I just need to be heard. I just need a witness. Mm -hmm. I think the way you just put it is wonderful. And most of us don't do that. So my advice here in terms of how we can be heard is to be much more explicit about our needs. So we often think that we have expressed a need clearly. So for example, we might say, let's say we say to our boss, oh, I have so much work on my plate. For us, translation, that means please take something off our plate, (laughs) right? But our manager hears that as like, she's busy, but she's handling it. That's a totally different interpretation. If I were to say to that same manager, I feel like I have a lot of work on my plate. I'm starting to feel overwhelmed. I'm worried about getting burnt out. Can you please help me prioritize this? Or can you please help me deprioritize a set of projects or change the scope or whatever it may be? So being really much clearer about our needs, being willing to use emotion words when we're expressing those needs. So saying things like, I'm struggling with this. I'm feeling overwhelmed by what I need from you is just to listen. I don't need advice. Or what I'm looking for here is a thought partner. I need to bring some solutions. What I'm not looking for is a venting session, whatever that may be. So to the extent that you can clarify so the other person doesn't have to do quite as much detective work of, okay, what might be needed here? That's going to be really useful for having your own voice and your own needs heard and met. So. I mean, this is all really, really good advice. Not all conversations need to be deep. Some of them are just quick exchanges of information. And I read some really interesting research that shows people avoid getting into conversations, especially with strangers, because they don't know how to end the conversations. They're afraid they'll get stuck in them forever. What is your advice to people on how to end a conversation? How do you walk away? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. I'm picturing a vortex of getting stuck in a conversation. (laughs) I would say a few things. If let's say there's someone who you know, they are prone to talking a lot. Maybe it's someone at the water cooler, it's a neighbor, whoever it may be. You can kind of set the stage ahead of time and literally say like, oh, it's so great to see you. I've got two minutes to catch up and then I've got to run. Or I have uh, such and such appointment at two, so I'm all yours until then. So you're really clarifying up front, these are the guardrails of this conversation so that when it comes, it doesn't have to be awkward because you've already said it. The other thing is that I think sometimes we make the problem in our minds a little bit larger than it needs to be of like, oh, this is going to be so awkward. I have to leave. They're still talking. How do I get myself out of this? Maybe we think we have to concoct some excuse. Oh, I just forgot, you know, but the cake is in the oven, the dog needs to be let out, whatever it may be. It really doesn't have to be that complicated. I think just saying, it was so great to catch up with you. I really need to run now. Or I'm so glad I ran into you. Let's pick this up again sometime soon. So you don't have to provide an excuse for why you need to leave. You can just say you need to leave and just acknowledge that 
you enjoyed the moment that you had together and now it's time to move on. Usually people aren't going to follow up with a set of questions of, well, where are you going? What are you doing, (laughs) right? Usually they're pretty good about taking that cue and saying, oh, great, I'm so glad we had a chance to catch up too. So what have I not asked you that I should have asked you? I mean, I think one thing that often comes up is around power dynamics in conversations and how that can change how we approach them or affect how we approach them. And usually one of the questions that comes up is, how do I manage this if I'm trying to have a conversation with someone in higher position than me or vice versa? And what I would say in that case is really just trying to do your best to level the playing field. So if you are someone who has to have, let's say, a difficult conversation with a manager or an executive, someone who has more power than you at the company, just doing your best to humanize them as an individual, kind of stripping away the title and just approaching it as a human-to-human interaction as opposed to a resume-to-resume interaction can help. If you're on the other side, doing the same. But I think specifically, if you are the person who wields a bit more power in that context or setting, being able to set the other person at ease and either by acknowledging or by sharing something. So for example, by saying, you know, when I was in your position, I had a lot of challenges with this also, or I remember this being really difficult, something that shows that you're human and just like them, and you have these challenges just like them. So finding ways to kind of level out the playing field for those conversations. Jimena, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. This is great. Today's episode featured Jimena Vengochea, a user researcher, illustrator, and author of the book, Listen Like You Mean It, Reclaiming the Lost Art of True Connection. You can purchase her book at our online bookstore at conferencesforwomen.org. And to learn more about the really incredible work she's doing, check out the Texas and Massachusetts Conferences for Women, where she will be appearing this November and December. If you enjoy this podcast, we would so appreciate it if you would rate us and review us on your podcast app. And of course, share it with others who might enjoy it as well. The Conferences for Women is the largest network of women's conferences in the nation. They draw more than 55,000 women and men to annual events in Boston, Philadelphia, Austin, and California. To learn more about our 2022 events online and in person in Boston, Philadelphia, and Austin, please visit us at conferencesforwomen.org. I'm Celeste Headley, and this is Women Amplified from the Conferences for Women. Thank you so much for listening. Be kind and be well.